Well, how did Romans 4 go? Were there any um, concepts you want to share, verses that stood out, anything like that? Marta. Yeah. was one that stood out for me too so mine was verse 19 19 and why did that stand out because it didn't matter to him his the earthly things like his wife or himself but his faith was still strong no matter what yeah everything else was as good as dead that's right <laughs> Are you a mother? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew is taking uh, AP calculus this year. I took calculus in high school. That was more than 20 years ago. And so I am having to relearn it this year. Um, so as we've been working on calculus, Ray and I have noticed that things are very different now than when we were in high school and took it 20 plus years ago. But the biggest thing we've noticed is that he doesn't use a textbook. In fact, there isn't even a textbook available for this calculus class. Um, he does have a textbook for his honors chemistry class, but it sits at home every day. He has opened it twice in the first nine weeks of school and both times were because I forced him to do it. And so it, it, it's just very different than when, when I was in school and probably when all of you were in school. Um, but one thing has stayed the same for calculus. You can't learn math in really lots of classes without seeing and working through example problems. And so as we look at Romans 4 today, we're gonna see Paul and he's putting on his teacher hat and he is showing us an example of the justification by faith that he talked about in chapter three. Um, uh, oh, I lost my spot. Oh yeah. And he used, uh, the, the example he chose was a man that would be known by the Jews in particular, but also would have known, been known by the Gentiles as well. And he knows that they are looking for how this idea of justification by faith can work in their history. And so I sort of went through this whole chapter because the last several weeks we've just had itty bitty chunks, right? I went through this whole chapter and, and picked out some of those things that stood out to me that I would have done the, I can't get to my paper right now because it's buried, but my, um, my observation sheet with these are some of those things that, that would have stood out on that. And so um, there's a ton more in the passage. And so if you have other questions, let me know. 
if I don't know the answer, we'll be able to find it out. So um, don't be overwhelmed by the passage, but I just wanted us to sort of hit some of the highlights, or at least the highlights that I found. Um, and so as we dig in and as we sort of power through, again, Paul continues by asking lots of questions. And then, and then he gives those answers to those questions. And so uh, your, your handouts, you have that list. If while we're reading, if you want to write them down, I think it's page 51 because that's what I wrote down. But um, it may not be. It may be something else. But uh, somewhere near page 51, we can put it that way. So jot down those questions that he asks as we're reading. Jot down, you know, things about the the answers if you want to um so let's dig in uh romans 4 1 through 8 what then shall we say was gained by abraham our forefather according to the flesh for if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before god for what does the scripture say abraham believed god and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justified the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work, works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So Paul cites really two people as witnesses. And who, who are those two people? Abraham and David. Abraham and David. And so we're going to start with Abraham. Who was Abraham? The father of the Jewish people. And one of the patriarchs, He's, he, every Jew would have known who he was because they would have known him as, as Father Abraham. And so that, of course, makes me remember the children's song. And so we're going to take a moment and we're going to listen to VeggieTales. And if you really feel like it, you can stand up and move like it tells you to. Hopefully it works. Nope. light went away. You're welcome to sing along too if you'd like. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on! <laughs> Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Yes. <laughs> And so are you. 
Permission from Ray. <laughs> oh, now you have to do it this way. I can't do that one because I'm to a chord. <laughs> That wasn't a blast from the past. And don't worry, I turned it off before the hairbrush song. So <laughs> worry about that one. Um, so I sang that song growing up. We would, we would sing it for children's church. We would sing it in Sunday school. We would sing it at vacation Bible school. We would sing it all the time, right? And it, it never bothered me that I would call him Father Abraham and that I was one of them because he was not just the father of the Jews, because I don't have Jewish heritage at all. He was the father of the faith. And so that's sort of part of why uh, Paul calls out uh, Abraham for both the Jews and the Gentiles. Um, so it's, it's a song that we can all still claim that, and call Abraham our father. Uh, so faith not only lets us be counted as righteous, but we are made part of the family of God. And so while most of you probably remember the story of Abraham, we're going to look at a couple of pieces of it today. So uh, Genesis 15, 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great re reward. But Abram said, Look, God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So both Romans 
and Genesis use that, that phrase, counted it to him as righteousness. And what is it that was counted as righteousness? His belief in God. Or he believed God. Yeah, his belief in God. He, um, a side note here, because it's always interesting to me, that, that word believed um, in Genesis, it goes back to Hebrew, and it's A-M-A-N. It means to say amen. And so when you're saying amen at the end of a, a prayer, you think, about the, you think about that, it means to support, to trust, to believe, to stand firm. Stand firm, sound familiar to anybody? That's our theme for the year for women's ministry. And so that concept at the end of your prayer is a confirmation. When you say amen, it's a confirmation that you are standing firm in your belief and your hope of God answering you. So just something to think about that's an aside. So um, what was it when we say Abraham believed um believed the Lord or believed God, what, what was it about God that he believed? He believed he was going to do what he said he was going to do. Yeah. He believed that God was going to keep his word, uh, that, that he would have a son, that Abraham would be the father of, of nations, that God would reward him and up, up um, it also says, I am your shield, that God would be his protector. He believed all those things that God had said to him. Um, and, and so uh, that's, it wasn't just he believed God was speaking to him. It wasn't just that he believed God existed. It was, God, I believe that you are a promise keeper. And, and one of those promises of God is a way of salvation. And, um, and that's what was counted to him as righteousness. So one of the things I've encouraged you to do on your observation sheets is, is to look at keywords. Um, one that is in this chapter 11 times is the word counted. And so we're going to take a look at that word counted. Um, this is a banking term in the in the Greek. It's a banking term. It means to put into one's account, to confer a status that was not there before. Uh, an example that was given in one of the commentaries I read was like a, a lease on a on a house. It's a lease with the option to buy type of of thing, where you begin by you're making basically rent payments on this house, but then those payments, when you decide to go forward with the sale and to purchase the house, those payments that were labeled rent payments, they're, they're actually changed. Their status is changed to become mortgage payments instead. Um, so it's, it, they're relabeled, renamed. Um, sometimes, this word is translated as reckoned or imputed. So if you're using a version that's not the ESV, you might have those words thrown in there. Um, and, and that, um, yeah, 
So when you work, you earn a salary and that paycheck goes into your bank account. In the case of Abraham here, he did not do the work. Jesus did the work, or Jesus in terms of timeline will do the work, but in God's mind had done the work. And so God treated Abraham, or, or Jesus did the work, and it was put into Abraham's account. And so God treated Abraham as if he had lived a righteous life. This, this, um, this idea of faith being counted or credited to him as righteousness does not mean that the faith was an act of righteousness, nor does it mean that it resulted in righteousness, though that faith will result in a changed or should result in a changed life and you should be living a more righteous life or having that be your goal, but it doesn't mean it resulted in perfect, perfect righteousness. Um, his faith was not a form of righteousness, but God counted it as if it were. And so that's, that's that count that, that we're going to see 11 times, or we've seen several, but we're going to see more times throughout this, um, this passage. And then verses 6 through 8, he, moves, he shifts from Abraham into David. Um, he, this is based on Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Sandy, did I give that one to you? Yes, 32, 1 to 2. Okay. Um, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And so what are some reasons that King David, think back to David, what are some reasons that King David could boast in himself? Goliath. Goliath. Yeah, mm -hmm. he defeated Goliath. He ripped a lion apart. Yeah, yeah. ripped the lion apart. <laughs> yeah. Samuel anointed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was, what was the song? Um, uh, Saul has... I might have it on my oh, yeah. iPod, but be <laughs> oh, yeah, careful. Right? Um, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Yeah. So he was a, you know, he was a successful Mighty warrior. warrior. Mm -hmm. He was a great king. Um and he was known as a man after God's own heart. But David also had reasons to be crushed by the weight of his sin. And so what are some of those? Adulterer. Adulterer. Bathsheba. Yeah, but with Bathsheba, murder. Mm -hmm. He was deceitful. Mm -hmm. uh, there was, and I meant to look it up, but he um, was fleeing from King Saul and he went to a priest and he lied to the priest and that led to the priest and his entire family being murdered. Um, David did not live a righteous life, but he knew when we look there at, at the verses quoted here at Psalm 32, we, he knew that his sinfulness, but he also knew that he was blessed. And it, he knew um, that, that 
the Lord will not count his sin, will not, uh, will not hold it against him. And again, that was before Jesus. So he was believing in the promise that God was Savior. Um, then we have Romans 4, 9 through 17. Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is, <coughs> for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs Faith is null, and the promise is void, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace, and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherence of the, the, adherence of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believes, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. So Abraham, here, here Paul is talking about that, that Jewish piece of the law of circumcision. But Abraham did not have his faith counted as righteousness because he was circumcised. And Paul proves that here. Um, if the, the Jews relied on the law. They relied on circumcision because that was part of the law. That was how they identified themselves. That was how um, it, was, it was how they, they knew that they were obedient or at least thought they knew they were obedient. Um, Romans 2, if you recall back, it reminded us of the idea of circumcision of the heart, that inner obedience being more important than the outward appearance. And so if I'm sure you've heard the story. There's the, the child and the father who are, you know, just butting heads. And the father says, you need to sit down. And the little girl says, no, and I'm not going to sit down. I'm going to stand up. And no, you're going to sit down because I said to sit down and goes back and forth. And finally, the girl sits down and she looks straight into her father's eyes and she says, I may be sitting on the outside, but I am standing on the inside. <laughs> that is that is what was what was happening, right? That the they were relying on the outside. They were relying on the standing or sitting and not on what was happening in the heart. Um, 
So in Genesis 15, we read those verses already. That was when Abram, Abram at the time, but we're Abraham later, is declared righteous. We don't know exactly when Genesis 15 occurs, but we do know that by the time he has um, Ishmael in chapter 16 of Genesis, he's 86 years old. So he's at the oldest, 85, right, in, in Genesis 15. <laughs> then um, we're going to look at Genesis 17, 23 through 27. same day was Abraham circumcised and Ishmael his son. And all the men of his house born in the house and bought with the money of the stranger were circumcised with him. So how old was Abraham here? 99. 99. 99 years old. So this is at least 14 years after Abraham was counted as righteous. And so like I said last time, circumcision does not mean as much to a room full of women as it does to, to men. Um, but, but circumcision was part of the Old Testament, of, of, of Jewish law, and it was required throughout the Old Testament. It was an evidence that they belonged to God, and it, it served as a reminder that God would keep his promise. The New Testament closest equivalent, not quite equivalent, that we have is baptism. Um, Paul is going to talk about baptism. I think we get to it in January um, in, in the book of Romans directly. But I want to illustrate Paul's point here. So baptism is a sign of being a follower of, follower of God. It's the evidence of your obedience to God, the reminder of the promise that God made, uh, and, and we'll see more of that in January. Um, so I'm going to give you another piece of my story today. Um, I grew up in church. Before I went to college, I could probably have counted on one hand the number of times that my family missed church. Um, I attended a non-denominational church and had pastors from varying backgrounds throughout my childhood. When I was eight years old, I came home from church and I remember walking into the kitchen and she was fixing lunch. And I said, Mom, I'm ready to be baptized and I want a grown-up Bible. And um, I don't remember, it was, it was, my Sunday school teacher was Mrs. Ellen Turnbull. She was an amazing woman of faith. Um, and I don't remember what she said or how she did it. But I came home knowing that I was going to heaven and that I wanted to be obedient and I wanted to know more about Jesus. Um, my pastor at the time felt strongly that anyone wanting to be baptized needed to go through a, a confirmation style class before being baptized. So finally, there were enough of us to have a class when I was 13 years old. 
Did the fact that I had to wait five years to be baptized mean that I was not saved during that time? No. no, because like Abraham, my faith was counted as righteousness when I believed in God as Savior during that Sunday school class when I was eight years old. Now, at my childhood church, I never actually saw the baptistry with water in it. Uh, we were always told it had a leak that couldn't be fixed. And so... Um, when I was 13 and finished the confirmation class, I was baptized in front of my church family by sprinkling. Um, did the fact that I was sprinkled at 13 mean that I was not saved? No. no, because like Abraham, my faith was counted as righteousness when I believed in God as Savior during that Sunday school class when I was eight. So later, when I was in college and I was studying the Bible on my own, really digging into what I believed and why, I understood that baptism should be by immersion. It was a summer-long struggle for me, conversations with my family, my college pastor, our teaching pastor. Part of me was embarrassed to be rebaptized. Part of me was embarrassed to even think about it at the age I was instead of, instead of younger. Part of me was afraid of disappointing my parents because there was that level of they had supported me at 13 and what was happening then but God was calling me to obedience and he has since used my story to encourage others in being baptized as an adult but again I went before my church family and I was baptized this time by immersion so did the fact that I waited until college mean that I was not saved until then yeah. no because like Abraham, my faith was counted as righteousness when I believed in God as Savior during that Sunday school class when I was eight. So circumcision is part of the Old Testament law. It was a sign of the Jews' obedience to the law. Baptism is a New Testament action. It's described as a sign of the Christian faith and their obedience to Jesus. Circumcision had nothing to do with Abraham's salvation. His faith was counted as righteousness more than 14 years before God even asked him to be circumcised. And for the record, it was not written down until the law was given to Moses almost 500 years later. Right? There was no law for circumcision at that point. So we will conclude this chapter by reading Romans 4, 18 through 25. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So this passage is about Abraham's faith in the promises of God and not on his own power. Abraham knew what, that 
knew that what God promises, he performs, and we have to do that same, that same thing. Abraham held on to that belief and that hope for more than 14 years while he waited for God to give him that promised child. Abraham believed that reality is greater than how we feel or how things appear. Right? Verse, that verse 19 says his body was as good as dead. Uh, in the ESV, it uses that uh, Sarah was barren, but in many of the other versions, her womb was dead is what it referred to. But God's promise, God's made a promise of descendants, originally given in Genesis 12, which we didn't read. Um, but that promise looked completely and utterly hopeless from an earthly perspective. But Abraham did not depend on appearances. Abraham focused on the facts about God. He did not have a Bible to look at. Like I said, Moses didn't write any of this down until 500 years later. And yet Abraham was fully convinced that God would keep his promise. And, that, and that's the verse, verses 20 through 22 that Marta had mentioned. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. This was not an absence of logical thinking. This was Abraham focusing on facts about God. Abraham believed in God's words even when there was nothing else to go on. And so many of you have heard about my bowl of rocks, right? Some of you have probably heard about my bowl of rocks a dozen times, but doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you about my bowl of rocks again because um, I'm the teacher and I get to. <laughs> um, so several years ago, uh, Ray was preaching Joshua chapter four and it talked about the memorial stones. They were to each tribe was to pick up a stone from the river and the, the Jordan River and, and bring it and they were to build an altar to the Lord with these stones. And um, we were really trying to figure out how we could put that into action for our family. And so we chose to make a bowl of rocks. Now, some of the rocks, because our children play with, like dig through and, and actually read off them, they don't like play play with them. And some of the words are rubbing off, but on the rocks, there are words or phrases that remind us of a key time that God was working in our lives, that we could see God's hand at work. Some of these are not the most pleasant thing. One of them in here talks about our house that was on the market for 11 months while we lived here and our house in Kentucky sat empty. Um, but God worked through that. Uh, some of these talk about the there's, there's one in here that talks about the, the young man that led Ray to the Lord. His name was Timothy. Uh, and he, um, and so it just says July 25th on the rock. He was killed in a car accident on July 25th, the summer of, it was 1999, the summer after they graduated from high school. We had our son, Andrew Timothy, who we named after this young man 
on July 25th, 2006. And so July 25th is in our bowl of rocks because only God could have made that happen. Andrew was three weeks early. Um, only God. And so we take this bowl of rocks and we, because we wanted something physical, we wanted that, those memorial stones, whether, I mean, ours turned into be actual rocks, but whether it was an actual stones or whatever, the whole point of, of Joshua 4 was to have a physical reminder that God would, would do what he says. And so that's what we wanted. We wanted a physical reminder in our home that God had done what he says and that he will continue to do what he said. We wanted something physical to look at to help us when we hit a hard time and we needed to remember to trust in God. And that's the way that we look and we know, God, you acted in great and mighty ways all these times for all these rocks and then some, because there are a bunch that we didn't actually include. You're going to make a way and you are at work in whatever this challenge is right now. And so I don't know whether Abraham had a bowl of rocks. I don't know. He, he definitely didn't use a Sharpie marker to write on them, but I don't know. I don't know how he was able to trust and remember those promises that God had kept for him. I don't know how that, that phrase, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. So we have, we have the Bible. It is full of miracles of God. We have the ability to memorize scripture um, and, and be able to recall some of those promises of God that he's kept. Maybe it's that you need to make a list of, of miracles from the Bible that you can just, you know, open up a notebook and be like, God did all these things. God provided food. God provided this. God provided that. Maybe that's what you need. Maybe it's that you need to make a list of how God did it in yours. You know, maybe not on rocks, but, but take those, those ideas and just make your own list so that when you're facing a struggle, you can then have that same feeling that Abraham did and no unbelief would make you waver concerning the promise of God. Don. Um, that phrase, no unbelief, in our evening Bible study, we had the discussion um, that what about Hagar when she, you know, was that his unbelief or did he just, he still believed, but he just believed that God was going to do it just because he was counted as righteous didn't make him righteous. And so, um, yeah, there, that was a moment that, that Abraham fell short, that he was, I, I always think of it as he did truly believe that was the way it was supposed to happen because that was the culture at the time um, until God said, no, that's, that's not what it is. And then he was like, oh, okay, I, I should have done that differently. Um, so I think he really thought he was doing what he was supposed to do, but, but I, so I don't know, um, 
I don't know that it was a um, necessarily a, a, a wavering belief, or, you know, an, an, an unbelief, but um, but it was definitely right. It was it was definitely not quite the right thing to do. Um, and it, yeah. was, it was driven by Sarah. Right. I mean, she initiated it. And so he was just like, oh, well, maybe that, maybe this is it. Um, so, but it was still part of God's plan. Absolutely, because God used Ishmael mm -hmm. and, and God used, uh, used Hagar. And, mm -hmm. and even for Hagar to give God the name, the God who sees me. Mm -hmm. Um, it just, yeah. I think oftentimes we want, we think we need to help God. So you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's taking so long. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Which is not right, but that's our human side. Right. And that's, that's the way we know that we aren't made righteous. We're just counted as righteous. <laughs> you know, those are those reminders. That's what, that's what David remembered when he said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You know, that's, that was the, the recognition that David had uh, and, and that we need to, to remember as well. So as we wrap up chapter 4, what would be a good theme for this chapter? I kind of think faith alone. Faith alone, yeah. There's no wrong answers. Mm -hmm. Well, I guess if you said justification by works, that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I have Abraham, father of the faith. Yeah. That's what I have. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. Abraham, father of the faith. Uh, or and just, even just illustrating justification by faith. You know, there's lots of, lots and lots of options. Yeah, counted as righteous. Faith equals righteousness. Yeah. Yeah, faith equals righteousness. So lots and lots of options for that. Um, next week, we will take a look at Romans 5, 1 through 11. And so just the first part of that chapter. Um, and then we can break up into our small groups. One through eleven, I believe.